Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So welcome to Bluebells Forever. And I'm going to welcome Rosemary Rosebud. I, you can tell me all the names you have, Tall DeHart. Just the fact that your maiden name was Tall and some of your friends may recognize that name is wonderful, but like what a great gift of a name for a Bluebell to have Tall as your name. And I do have to say like I listened to Athena's podcast. We both started at the same time. We both are supporting each other. And so when I reached out to you, I, I reached out to her like, is this okay if we duplicate? So we just know there's enough people to interview that we could have 10 years worth of stories and never duplicate. But crossing over is interesting too, because you may tell your story one way and then other memories come up and we have different audiences. So we're sharing Rosebud. And so I think we're both really honored because there's these stories that go back further. You know, there's people that I'm interviewing now at the current show at the Lido, some from my era, I was 1980. But I love the ones that go back further, especially people who work directly with Miss Bluebell and have those stories of what those days were like and working with her directly. Because the newer generation never met her. My generation knew her from the audition process and maybe not as personal as when those earlier days when you were, I'm going to let you go from here, but just even what that was like to actually audition directly for her. And you have to tell your private audition story because that's just priceless. <laughs> so I'm welcoming uh, Rosemary and I'll let you just go from here, but just tell us a, to start with a little bit about like you growing up as a dancer, what that was like and where you grew up. Okay, um, I was born and bred in Wellingborough, North Ants in, the, in England. Uh, I began dancing because at three years of age, my mother noticed that I had crooked walking. They called it valgoid feet or something. She goes and takes me to a doctor who says I can put her legs in irons or send her to a good technical ballet teacher. Oh my gosh, what a choice. <laughs> Yeah, so my mother researched. She was a lady beyond her years, by the way. She said the only way in the future is through education or and the arts. So she mm -hmm. researches and finds one teacher, Barbara Coles, who um, was a, a certified teacher with the Royal Academy of Dance and the Imperial Society of Teachers of Dancing, the two worldwide recognized organizations of dance headquartered in London, England. So she enrolled me. And by the age of six, my legs were straight and I was cured. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, wow. It, because of correct turnout from the hips. Right. Don't turn out from the feet and the knees. And uh, later when I was a teacher, I always stressless to the hilt. And I think that stops with a, a lot of problems with the knees and the ankles and the hips later in life with correct training. Obviously, some have genetical, uh, genetic weaknesses, but I really think good classical training of turning out from the hips according to each individual person's ability is a lifesaver. So I took class with her. And then um, I was also involved with competitions, which I'm not saying I approve of now, but it, it was really good for me because I was successful. And as the years went by and I did all, won all these trophies, uh, some of the adjudicators said to me, you should be a bluebell. Now, I didn't know what a bluebell was. Except <laughs> for a flower. I had no idea <laughs> what a bluebell was, but my mother being ahead of her years, discovered there was a magazine called The Stage. So she would buy it for me and we would see on occasion that Bluebells had auditions. So here I am training uh, at Kilburn School of Dance in, in Wellingborough and the Black and White Minstrels who were a group on television were auditioning. They were recruiting new dancers. But in the back of my mind was the name Bluebell. So my mother said, well, you're now nearing the end of your two year full-time dance training for your certification. What do you want to do? I said, oh, I think I'll write to Miss Bluebell. 
So I wrote to Miss Bluebell and 48 hours later, I don't even know how the, uh, how the letter got to uh, Paris so quickly. She called her agent, Peter Baker in London, who phoned me. And he said, uh, Miss Bluebell's interested. Uh, would you um, be able to come to London for an audition? And I said, well, yes. He said, well, when are you coming? I said, well, I thought quickly and I said, okay, I have one of my final um, dance exams uh, in two weeks time. Uh, can that work? He says, let me know. I gave him the date. I told him when my examination was. So half an hour later, the phone rings again and said, uh, Max Rivers Studio, 2 p.m. Miss Bluebell will meet you there. <laughs> I was in shock at that point because all I heard was these cattle calls when they have a zillion people at auditions. And I thought, did I miss something here? Yeah. So anyway, I went with my hair in my bun with my pink tights and my black leotard yep. to the studio. And here is this wonderful lady and she introduces herself and I introduce myself and my mom. And she says, well, do something. And I'm <laughs> waiting to be told what I'm supposed to do, like copy a routine. She, I said, oh, she said anything. So I thought, well, I just took my ballet exam. So I gave her an adage study. And she said, oh, that's, that's good. Now, how about some Allegro? So I did an Allegro study. So I didn't have to think anything through. Yeah. So the next thing she said was turns from the corner. I said, what kind would you like? She said, oh, anything. And so I go to the corner and there's no music. I'm just doing it all ad lib. Oh, wow. So as I'm turning and whipping across the room, <laughs> finishing in fourth on lunch with a lovely open fourth arms, she's handing my mother a contract. And she said, okay, so you leave in two days. I can't. She said, well, why not? I said, because I haven't finished my exams. I'm at the end of my two year full-time course to complete my exams. She said, well, when, when's your last exam? And I said, June. She said, and I said the 14th, because it was my birthday. And I didn't know, I knew it was the first week of June. She said, then on the 15th, you will leave for Paris. And she said, here, signs contract. And she loved meeting the, the parents of the bluebells in those days because she wanted good wholesome girls. She did not want wayward girls. She wanted, and it was pretty obvious how innocent I was. Mm -hmm. I was how old 18. were you? I was 18, okay. but I was very young 18. I was a studious young 18, mm -hmm. you know. I have so. a couple questions. Cause when, when you started ballet to help with your, with your legs, did you like it or was it like, this is a, something I'm doing because it's therapeutic or when did you start to love dance or like dance or just do it because it was healthy? Yeah. At first I just did as I was told, yeah. but I can clearly remember. And I was about four years old. My ballet teacher had us as pearls in oyster. A pearl is sitting on the little pad with a little shell behind us. And we were lined up in one line. And we learned this little dance. Well, when we got on the stage, there wasn't enough width of the stage for us to be in one line. So what they did is they took one shell forward, one shell back. So they zigzagged us and I was in the second line. And I remember I did not like that. I was in the second <laughs> line. So during the course of the dance, I apparently danced forward until I was with oh. everybody. But oh. they couldn't believe it because I was so shy in class that I yeah. would suddenly on stage with the lights do that. So do uh, we see a star's born? I, I mean, think so. Yeah. That's, wow. and so I was always like, I'm a Gemini. So it's obviously there's two sides to me. Mm -hmm. There really is because I have one side that is I very determined and I've got to do this. And then the other side is kind of, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to upset anybody. So I've kind of got two sides to my personality. But that, I do remember doing that. Yeah, well, that's so interesting because sometimes it's not the most flamboyant. It's sometimes those quiet ones, they find their, their real place on stage and they, 
they don't have to be invited forward. That that's a beautiful story. And I picture the, that that should be a Busby Berkeley or even a Don Arden costume with pearls and yeah. shells. Cause like, wow, I can see that in a full production number. You were ready to go early on. Yes, you see, when you're on stage, you're playing a part. Yeah. That is a whole different ball game than when you're in your apartment or you're going out with friends. Some people don't get off stage, other people do. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of surprises of who those people are that shine and should be pulled forward or invited forward. I haven't, so also, did you, you had never seen one of these shows. So you're doing a full on Royal Academy combination for her but you're she's not seeing like kicks or jazz because I know when I auditioned way later you had to do like a full jazz routine so were you prepared for what that show was or does she just know she can train you because your ballet technique is so good okay when I sent that letter off as well as the two pictures my weight my height my vital statistics hmm. I also put in my accomplishments with examinations and that included the uh, vocational levels of the ISTD, which is the modern and the jazz and, and, okay. the, and the level of mark, the distinctions I got. So she did know that. She could have said to me, show me some kicks. I probably did preparation for front kick and a few things like that. I probably yeah. put around and did a cross forth and got a, you know, I'm sure I did that at that time at some point. Yeah. But she's more interested for the bluebells as classical in those days. Because if you don't have that classical elegance, you look like an oaf. Yeah, well, that's what I think it's really interesting to hear. If you've got that, then you can, you can re, you know, work the showgirl walk or the jazzy style. But if you don't have that ballet training, like you said, it doesn't carry well. Like as a ballerina, you can carry yourself, you can carry feathers, you can carry whole sets on you and look beautiful. That's just, that is really beautiful to hear that her honoring ballet because I know in the states when you say you're showgirl people think you're kind of just a glorified prop and they it's hard to explain here in America what bluebells are and so when you say ballet training it seems to confuse people that showgirls what we know showgirls to be are not what Las Vegas the girls standing out front of the hotels and on flyers what that is and I just love to keep reclaiming the technique and the beauty and the class of the women that bluebell hired well, see, that's the problem. They use the word showgirl so collectively that unless somebody understands the distinction between a Belle du Lido in 1964 in Paris, was a topless, statuesque, beautiful person who did walk, whereas in the windmill, in the old days, there's the windmill theater that they just had a, a pose or a position in a grouping they opened the curtains and closed it. I didn't see it, but if you ever see the movie uh, Mrs. Henderson with Judy Dench, it's a fantastic. Oh, I look for that. How it's all about the windmill in World War II, before my time, and that is how the they presented it. They had dances and they had the topless bells de Lido that were bells, you know, that didn't move. Yeah. Took it one step further. They did, but they didn't jump around to spoil their statuesque look or their boobs or anything. So I was always a little perturbed when everybody called me a showgirl. Right. The showgirl always depicted an untrained, sleazy person, which is not very nice. And we know that's not true. But yeah. even my daughter-in-law, she'll tell people I was a showgirl and I'll give her my eye. And then she'll say, oh, she was a dancer, you know? I mean, there, it's, there, it's really, you have to clarify because people think, like when I say Vegas, they think you're a stripper. If you say yeah. showgirl, they think that. If, and if you say you're a dancer, they think, like they can't put those together. Like you felt like you have to justify. And then I didn't, I was a tall nude. So I always just said bluebells were the cover dancers. But now after the reunion, like all of us were hired for, for bluebell shows were considered bluebells, but they were classified but, if nude was, or not was that was right. not originally the way it was in 1964 yeah. bluebell dancers were all always covered yeah. bells du lido the mannequins the topless statuesque beauties okay then the three shows that i did from september 66 through december 72 the bluebells were always dancers and covered and i i think that 
they called them a different name. I, Bells, I should look at one of the programs, whether it was Bells de Lido or whatever it was, mm -hmm. it depicted the other set. Yeah. In 1973, when I had left, they had a third set. Instead of having 18 dancers and 18 Bells de Lido, topless, they took away six of those 18 um, Bells de Lido and they were bluebells that were topless dancing. So they had a third category that was yeah. not in existence until 1973 in Las Vegas. Yeah. Wow. Because in Reno, we also had ponies, which were short nudes. Okay. And I think some show, so if the names have changed. And so even having my podcast called Bluebells Forever, it's kind of more of the everybody who was ever in any of these titles that did these shows for Miss Bluebell and continue, even though she's no longer with us, right. it's still her legacy. There became a time when she wasn't allowed to use the word bluebell, even though she was in charge. It was the Margaret Kelly dances. When that, was that? Because I've seen programs with that on there. Yeah, Margaret Kelly is her real yeah. woman, okay? And she got the name bluebell because she had bluebell blue eyes. That's how that came about. But because of the royalties in the Lido at the Stardust, she couldn't use the name Bluebell. It was to do with royalties, even though they no longer used the name Bluebell, you know, later. She used the name Margaret Kelly in the early um, Hallelujah Hollywood. Yeah. So there was, there uh, would be no problem. Okay. In, ha in Hello Hollywood, Hello, we were also uh, the Margaret Kelly dancers and the Kelly boys. So they didn't have Bluebells on the program. It was more like how you were divided in the dressing room was more. You, you worked with Fluff? No, I worked with uh, Jillian Hershey or Shrowy. I can't oh, I say that right. Him. Yeah, uh, no. best company manager ever. Fluff was the, was the manager at Fluff Lacock. Yeah, she was Vegas. And then Jillian was our company manager. And I was in Reno. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So we were the only Don Arden show in, in Reno. From 1966. And then she was company manager. Jillian. Uh, was with her husband and then with Ron Watson as Adagio in the Lido's I was in. Oh, really? Last I know her as company manager. I love the photos of exactly. her as a dancer. Actually, yeah. I'm good friends with Jillian today. I'm still trying to get her as an interview because there's so many of us that adore her that want to hear her story. Oh, I, I'll, um, I'll, I'll talk to her. Nudge her. <laughs> I'll tell her that she really must share her story. Yeah, she was just such a great manager. And you know it's because she lived that life and she knows well, you know treating she's dancers. Managing, don't you? She's what? Legends in concert. No. She's the okay. manager. Really? Okay, I'm going to do some more, more and find out on that. Well, so she, now I want to, I would love to have her. When you, okay, so you got your contract and you're 18 years old, your mother's there, like, and all of a sudden you're leaving, like right after exams. Did you have time to even, it's just such a whirlwind. Like Paris is a big deal at 18 to be in this city. And like, I would love for you to share like where you stayed and rehearsed because like, welcome to Paris, <laughs> show business. What was that like leaving home and settling well, in in Paris to rehearse? Said, from somebody, one person said that they didn't think I'd even leave my front doorstep because I was so shy at times. They could not believe that I could actually go to Paris. So my mom came on the train to me and we had to meet at a different platform in London with the other Bluebells that were going to different places for, for Bluebells. So there was half a dozen of us together, which was very nice. Yeah. We took the ferry over the um, channel and somebody must have met us in and we ended up in Hotel Pax in Pigalle. Now, Place Pigalle, when you see movies about uh, the streetwalkers, it's true. Yeah. It is so true. Don't stand on their turf. Somebody that had no idea. I mean, I, I didn't see much TV in those days because it was so limiting. You know, you did, it's not like today. In those days, you saw a Disney movie once a year, Christmas Day. You didn't get, you didn't have a Disney channel. It was BBC or ITV. You know, there's very wow. little to see. So I really did not know what to expect. Yeah. But they were very good. Here's what they did. When you stayed in the hotel, 
I was rehearsing actually in the Lido because I was going to be there. Some people were going on the Deporto tour and so were rehearsing in other theaters nearby there. But for me, I had to go in. So I was shown how to get on the Metro, but if it was late, they gave you, they, they sent you home in a taxi. Mm. You never had to worry. They were not gonna have the bluebells out at night or anything like that. But I was not at the hotel for that long before an opening came up for me to stay on the sixth floor of the, um, above the Lido show there in the arcade. There were residents. Can you tell about that? Because I think I saw the current one, but you were in the older one, but it's the yeah. same area, the same yes, block. Okay. The Champs-Elysees is um, obviously the most famous street going to the um, Arc de Triomphe. The uh, original Lido was halfway on the same side of the street, just walk a hundred yards towards the Arc de Triomphe and that's where the new Lido is. The okay. new Lido is very ostentatious and you walk in the front door as you know, it's and beautiful. it's just huge and gorgeous. Original Lido was in a wonderful arcade where they sold pastries and all kinds of things. And I would walk in the front door there, turn left, and there was the elevator that took me up six levels. And that's still there, except it's, uh, they've glassed in the elevator now. And it's a little more difficult. You have to show proof of identification. Wow. So you went from Pigalle to the Champs-Élysées. That was, that must have been a nice upgrade to feel, oh, yeah. did you feel safer and? Yes, yes. Um, people, uh, bluebells that were there for a long time, often they would do the same thing as me, but then they would venture out and uh, rent an apartment. Or they would meet some wealthy uh, gentleman, marry them, and they just did it. <laughs> Rosina married the orchestra leader. Lido, I'll start again, orchestra leader. And she was in the same dressing room as me when I first started. Very beautiful woman, you know, so you never know. Yeah. And it was- What was that like with the rehearsals? Did you feel like right at home or was it overwhelming to do this style? Cause I'd even seen those kind of costumes that this as a ballerina, this is what you're gonna be wearing on stage and maneuvering headpieces and well, heels. When I rehearsed, I rehearsed just with the line captain. I did not rehearse with everybody else. Yeah. Then they had, after the show, they'd have a big rehearsal and I would have to fit in and be directed where I was to be with everyone else, but I already knew the steps. Yeah. Then. So I, it was only three or four days before I was actually in the show in several That's of the numbers. Because so would you rehearse in the day and then watch the show at night so you could kind yeah. of see your, and then like really see what you're a part of too? Yes, yes. Oh. What was that like when you first saw the show? When I was first in the show? When you first saw it, when you realized like this is what I moved to Paris for. Absolutely amazing. I was a bit shocked with the topless because remember I was yeah. from a small <laughs> town. But there were so many beautiful costumes. It was incredible. But I do remember as a rookie bluebell, one of the topless girl she was very tall and kind of a big girl and uh, when she saw me on stage she'd deliberately get her cape and try to swipe it at me hoping that nobody would see it I didn't think that was very nice no what a way to be welcomed <laughs> so, you know funny uh, several year, years later when I was uh, teaching in London she was sharing with a a gal that was from my ballet school who went to Las Vegas with me and they never kept her for the next show. I wonder why. Yeah, those things I didn't you just say can't say anything to anybody, but I'm thinking back now that that could be one of the reasons, you know, because she was, yeah. not, she did not behave herself. <laughs> wow. Athena and I have talked about that show. I won't watch it, the movie show, Girls. I will not watch it for several reasons. But it's even this whole presentation that, that dancers and those shows are cutthroat and trying, like, it's, I've never, ever saw anything like that. I think you always are working with very respectable, wonderful people. And there are those occasional people, but they don't seem to last very long because you have to not just dance together. You have to be backstage together. You don't want the drama. That's right. I did not want drama. I never said anything. I never told anyone. But it's funny when 
you and I were talking, I just, I had that instant thing of when I was first there that that was pretty mean. Yeah. Like that. So when I was teaching much later, I was very insistent about the children and their behavior. Extremely insistent on that because it all reflects back to what you didn't like when you were a kid. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And your reputation precedes you like you, to get offered other jobs. If you are someone who is great to work with, you've got more opportunities, but you know, Bluebell, I'm sure hears the stories and pays attention and you know who I can go move this dancer, this place, and she's going to be great. Or like, I don't know if this is a chance I want to take. When I left December of 72, Bluebell and Arden said, well, if you want to come back, because they were looking for new faces at that one location, um, when Hallelujah Hollywood, that was, the, that was before, yeah, uh, we'll rehire you. You will be rehired if you want, you know, if, whatever yeah. you want to do in between, which I took as a very big compliment. Yes. I, I did, but by then I had a, was doing so many other things I didn't want to, but one of my students was hired. She was an adult that was, when I was in the casino business, she was in the um, cashier's cage and she had two children and had them start class. And then she said, could she take class herself? I said, of course. The first time she shows up with jazz pants and I don't know what she had, some kind of light jazz shoes. And I said, I really can't see your legs. I could, but I wanted her to see them herself. Mm. Didn't have much money because single parent raising two little ones. So I went home and got a leotard and some decent tights. And I said, wear those, please wear those. In two years, she did so well that when I saw Bluebell and Dawn, I, they were at the Stardis visiting and I saw them. And I said, I've got a girl I'd like you to see. So they said, really okay you know and they hired her oh my god line captain of the bluebells for a period of time really she was fired because of her age that's what they used to do at certain times oh because she was good enough to be a line captain and was there 10 years you know i it's just weird how things change and now I know I've interviewed a few people that did dance into their forties, that it's not oh, like yes, a cut, an expiration date or something. Henriette Audic, I think is her name. She was a principal in the Lido in Paris with me. And then she was a principal at the Stardust and she married one of the principal singers, beautiful, beautiful woman. She and her husband, great couple. And they lived in Paris for a while. They came back, she needed work and she was hired. And she just was in the line, not she couldn't do more. Of course she could, she's gorgeous. But she was just happy having a job while they're getting themselves sorted out. And she had to be, I think she was 40 when she was rehired. Mm. So you see things do change. Yeah. So you were there for four months in Paris and it was the contract ended and, and then you, I know, you, I'm going to jump ahead. Like I know you did other, you kept working. The contract didn't end. Bluebell said, would you like to go to Rome for the television series? And it was double pay from Paris. Oh my gosh. So does she just see like, you're going to be good for this. And it sounds like she wants to keep people uh, fresh and not bored, but she's looking out like you might be good for this or like for both. It's good for you. And it's good for the show. Yeah. She had to find 10 girls from wherever she was, her resources were that could pick up routines quickly. And for television, they did not want them. The, the height, like five eight to five nine, was a good height for television. Mm. You know, because you've got with a little choreographer who's five foot three, he's going to choreograph very quick movements. So you look like a wind up doll. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, she just thought that I would be good for that. And it was very lucrative. I thought it would be fun. And I said, yes. And so the next week I was gone. Because wow. Because did it that quickly. Yeah. What was that like being in Rome and like having to do a new show, a new show every week, right? So you had to always be. It was a program 
Napoli contra tutti, Naples in contrast to all other countries with singers coming from other countries. We were not backup dancers. We had the opening, we had the finale and we had other dances in between. So it was either three or four routines. Two of them would be filmed ahead of time. Two of them would be done in front of a live audience. And there would be stars from all over the place that would come. It could be Matt Monroe from the UK singing Yesterday or the Mersey Beats, which was a really crazy group with the long hair, you know, in those days. Yes. Italian men would call them senoritas because they didn't fit into the profile. Oh, wow. And, and the person that won the Eurovision Canton Eurovision contest, No No Leita and Osola Mia, they appeared on it. There was a lot of famous people. So Nino Taranto was the one that introduced everyone. He was very well known in Rome. And even many, many years later, way up to now, Gino Landi is one of the top two choreographers in Rome. And when my husband and I we're traveling there on vacation, probably about 15 or 20 years ago. But that, remember, we're going, this is now 2021. Uh, there was a lady who was taking us around the Vatican and she got talking to us and she knew him. She was a personal friend of his. Oh and my gosh. Next answer. I mean, it's a small world. <laughs> right. And she oh. said, he's still very famous. Isn't that weird? And it's a small world, but it's like the, like a bluebell. Like you get to travel. I'm thinking even like I'm 61, but for women my age, like, if, you know, it's like you go to college, maybe you become a mom, but to be 18 and have the opportunity to travel and be like a semi-celebrity and to get to see the world was not afforded to a lot of young women, I'm thinking. And actually, when I came back from Rome, um, Gino had an English-speaking assistant called Vivian Bocker. She wrote me a letter on behalf of Gino asking me if I wanted to join his group of dancers in Rome. Well, there's no way I dare do that. I had to be with Bluebell, who I felt protected. Yeah. But I was very flattered that he thought I was good enough to be with his group. What was your life like in Italy? Did you guys have, I mean, it sounds like you were rehearsing we every day, long hours. Did you get to see anything or, or experience? Not, not, not as much as I think we should have. We yeah. did get um, treated to um, wonderful dinners and, you know, all that kind of thing. And there was always people wanting our autograph, which were kind of funny. Yeah. We publicity shots. One time we were at a zoo with an elephant. <laughs> Oh, wow. You never knew what, what was coming up next. But uh, we did work a lot, and I did not see as much as I would like to have seen because on the seventh day, Gino would often ask me to come in extra. I would get paid for it, and I was always flattered, and I always did it, but it meant that I didn't have much time to go shopping. And then the girls said to me, oh, we've got to go to the um, swap meet, you know, one of those outdoor markets. And so... They insisted I come with them. So I did, and I bought like a nice leather two-piece suit and a suede jacket and some handbags. Oh my gosh. Your pictures, I didn't say that at the beginning. That's the reason I contacted you when Facebook starts to suggest friends for you because now I have so many bluebell friends. Your pictures are so stunning and you look so fashionable. And because that era, like that like 60s, 70s, with your hair and your the way you even did your makeup, it just looks iconic 70s model. And so I'm like, how could you not be in Italy and want to shop for the greatest fashions and, and be a, cel okay, a celebrity? I, my feet were too big for most of their shoes because remember the Italian ladies are very tiny and diminutive. But I did, <laughs> love, I did love their leather goods, I have to say. I really did. Sometimes like when I will tell my friends this life, it, it feels normal when you're in it. And then when you reminisce like, Oh, we're at the zoo taking a picture with an elephant or we're signing autographs. Like that's just, that's such a different lifestyle when you come back and do your normal life and raise kids. Sometimes it like, wait, it feels like another life, but like 
it's such an amazing experience that you get to be paid to dance and travel, do what you love, meet amazing people. Well, many years later, when we went back one of three or four more times with my husband, I said, I've got to find the Pensioni. So I said, it's near the Vatican, Via Cola di Rienzo is the name of the street, Dewey Centro Quarenta Tre, whatever the, you say that. I found it. And it has, it has one star, Pensioni. <laughs> no, I don't think that's the same thing as, um, as one star in the United States. Okay. It's kind of a shark. I think, uh, but see, we would go up the um, elevator and it or the lift and it had you you know the old movies with audrey hepburn and everybody where you see them get in an elevator and it's all that like iron crisscross stuff. yes it was one of those Ooh. we'd get out now this couple this lady old lady and her daughter owned it and it was wonderful marble floors i mean it was absolutely spotlessly clean being in the 60s, we had to tell them we wanted a bath to pay extra. Uh, otherwise, I guess you, they just bring you water to your room. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> and then we'd always order um, a, a cappuccino for every morning because it wasn't a bed and breakfast. You have to a la carte, but it was very inexpensive. But there was a situation that when we, uh, every week on a Wednesday, we got to see ourselves on the television. And one of the bluebells had become friends with a gold merchant. And he invited her to go to his villa and bring whoever he wanted for dinner and watch TV there. And she would invite me. Her name was Eileen. And there'd be, not just me, there'd be like four or five of us. The others weren't interested, but it was fabulous. He had this beautiful gold Mercedes too, and he'd, put us in, in his vehicle and his, um, he had a, a maid or a cleaning lady who always had prepared all the food ahead of times. He had half a dozen bathrooms and there were tons of robes up there so we could clean up after we'd done the show, put a, a robe on or dress or whatever and watch ourselves on TV with a fabulous dinner. And then oh my gosh. there would be a little basket for each one of us and he would have delicacies for breakfast for us. Is that hilarious? Oh my gosh. So are your friends back home, do they know this life or, or do you write back and say, oh, I'm doing this and doing that? Are they seeing you on the TV? Did, it, did they see it in England or was it only aired in Italy? No, they didn't see it on Rome. They, they didn't see what happened on Rome TV in England. And in those days, long distance phone calls were a privilege but Raffaello was the gold merchant's name. And he would say to us, would you, like, would you like to call your parents? So he would arrange that. I mean, that to me was very special. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have done it on my own. Right. Oh my gosh. That's, That's another such a thing. He got us to go to a bank. I remember we went to a bank to open up an account because we've got all this money and don't know what to do with it. We got paid in cash. And, and you're not paying for your home room and board, right? So you're money is yours to just save or spend? Yeah. No, the oh, wow. Okay. Uh, it was 86,000 lira, however much that was in those days. It sounds a lot, doesn't it? And <laughs> so the room and board was about 6,000. That's a week. Yeah. Of the 86. So then we had all this other money and we didn't know what to do with it. I mean, the ladies in our pensioni were very honest, but that's not a very smart thing. So Raffaello <laughs> took us to a bank and we opened up an account, those of us that were friends with him, with Eileen. And at the end of the contract now, we've got to go back, right? We've got to go home, we've got to pull the money out. So I go to the bank and they give us all this money in bigger denominations. And I had this handbag with a long strap and I stuffed all the money in the handbag. <laughs> And then I, I put it across, you know, across, across my body and I kept my coat on because we went back to England by train. So it was overnight. <laughs> so then I get to England with all this money in, in Lyra. <laughs> and I said to my mom, okay, we got to do something with this money. You know, 
So we go to the Lloyds Bank in my hometown and they have to convert all the money. And I gave her half because she'd done so much for me. And also I was staying there till I decided what I wanted to do next because I didn't know what was going to happen next. Right. And so that's the story of my money. I love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because then you get to, you know, just not have to spend money on all the things you've placed. That sounds like a glamour life. So you, when you came back to England, did you know you were going to go dance again? Did you contact Bluebell or was it just, no, let's I, see what I feel like doing? Actually, I don't. Because when I first got back to England, my grandma was dying. So that was mm. paramount. You know, she died yeah. a few weeks later. Then my mother had surgery. You know, th one thing was on top of the other. And then I'm like, well, my mother said, well, you need to do something. I said, well, I haven't heard from Miss Bluebell, you know. So uh, I decided I'd go up to London with another gal from my hometown. And uh, so I went up to London to see what was going on. And I saw an ad for the Ada Foster Theatrical School and Agency in Golders Green, because I decided I did not want to dance in London. You had to do the talk of the town and another show. You had to do two shows to be able to live in London like that it, it it wasn't like being on the continent with bluebell with good salaries so i decided i would um check out the ada foster school and agency so i responded to the ad and they lived on abbey road i went to see them and uh i said i'm interested i told them what i had done and he offered me something like 11 pounds a week to teach that I said oh that's not enough I need at least 15 pounds and he says he spluttered he said oh my head teacher doesn't get but 12 pounds 10 I said yes but I would imagine your teacher has an established home somewhere he said well yeah. that's true he said okay I'll give you 15 pounds wow. so I teaching there and even 15 pounds was not very much yeah it was not but I shared I want, I'll cut a long story short. The third place I stayed in, I shared with three other, four other students from the Royal Academy of Music. One was a concert pianist, one was a violinist, one was a, uh, an opera singer, and I forgot what the other one was. It was. And we had one kitchen and one bar, one kitchen and one bathroom between us that you couldn't swing a cat in, but it was in St. John's Wood, a very nice neighborhood. So I was very happy there but it's not somewhere I'd like to live now. <laughs> right. And I, oh. would, I, would, I would walk up and catch the bus to Golders, uh, to Golders Green from where I was. And Mr. The owner, what was his name? Uh, Mr. Foster, he said to me one day, um, if you are at the bus stop, when I come by at 9 a.m. or 8.30 a.m., whatever time it was, uh, I will give you a lift because he had a chauffeur driven Bentley. So I would be there. He'd stop <laughs> and he'd sit in the front with his cigar and everything. You can imagine it all fully dressed up. And I would sit in the back and he'd give me a, a ride every Saturday for the classes I did. Oh, wow. to make my own way home. But he did give me a ride there. Were you pretty content to just teach, not just, but to be a teacher and, and not perform anymore? Or was this just kind of a holding place for maybe to see um, what I, else comes? I was really quite happy at that time, but uh, I knew that it wasn't really very good for a long time period of time. Uh, my former ballet teacher would like me to have taught for her, but I didn't want to be in my hometown particularly. Mm. You know, I needed You'd to. already lived a pretty big town, a pretty big life. It's hard to sometimes go yeah. back to. But it all worked out, you see, because I then got a call from Peter Baker about Las Vegas. And I had a contract with Mr. Foster, which was going to be completed before I had to go to uh, Las Vegas. And even though Mr. Foster wanted it renewed, like you keep renewing it, um, he was furious when I said I wasn't going to renew it. Oh, wow. Oh, he actually yeah. called Peter Baker and said I couldn't go. But I'd already oh, told Peter Baker what was going on, you know. And so it was straightened out. But he actually did. Peter Baker told me. And I was wow. horrified. He yeah. says, okay, I've got it all straightened out. <laughs> 
and they know what they're doing. I actually had to, a contract wouldn't let me out. And the next producer, they had their people that know how to do this. Yeah. And then like, okay, I'll let you guys figure it out because it's very scary when someone thinks yeah. they can. I mean, I re- did complete the contract, but there was yeah. some clause that if I didn't tell them by a certain date in March, that it would continue in September. Hmm. Which I was aware of, but I was underage anyway, for signing them, you had to be 21 in those days. But I wanted to be responsible and I said to, uh, I said to Mr. Foster, but, but why? I said, I'm not, I'm not asking to leave next week. You've got six months to find another teacher. Six months. Yeah. I said, and I've completed the year. Yeah, but you should have told me on March 1st, not March the 5th, if you're not going <sighs> to stay in September. You see? I said, look. I'm not a little girl looking at a doll that I want in a, in a shop window. I'm going. And I did for you. And he said, he's already called him, but he said, he said, Miss Bluebell's got more money than you. So we'll fight it. (laughs) it Nothing ever came of it, but it made me laugh. Oh my gosh. So yeah. Cause you're, if you've been intimidated, you might not have left and wouldn't have had this whole. Two sides of me. There's two sides of me. They could have just said, never mind. So did you have the excitement for Vegas or like, cause I just did like what people think Las Vegas is. Yes, I absolutely did. When uh, I was in the Lido in Paris, the girls in the dressing room used to talk about Las Vegas. And because I was a replacement, I changed dressing rooms a couple of times when I was there. So I got the dressing rooms only had like three girls in each. For the oh, really? three or four in the old original building. Yeah. So um, they talked to me about Las Vegas and how they really wanted to go. And there was one girl, Marguerite Dane. She was really wanting to go to Las Vegas. So guess what? When I got there, she was already there. Really? Oh, how fun. So you had people to. You see, Um, lovely girl. And so I was always pumped up that, I would want to. So when I was offered it, I, I didn't even hesitate. I said, when I knew that I could complete the other contract, I said, absolutely. I would love to. What was the name of the show you went into? Uh, well, there was three. There was like the seventh, eighth, and ninth. There was a pourquoi pas. There was Bon Nuit. There was something else. In fact, Connie, my bluebell friend, and I were talking about that. After a period of time, you lose touch with everything. I know in Paris, it's and moi. Follow me. Because I, uh, I saw the Stardust show in 1979. Yeah, well, that was way after me. Way after. Yeah. So I don't know, like, how long those shows ran, because I feel like they, they run, lo- like, later those shows went on for years and years. years. They ran for a good two years. But two years, that's pretty great, because I know, like, Jubilee at, what, 34? Five, 37 years uh hello hollywood i was it was 11 so i know I mean, it's nice I, if you're going to stick around have something fresh to get looked forward to i know it's funny when i was teaching i had some students that were just little girls then they go and they end up being a bluebell and, and because it's the oh. same show for 30 years yeah yeah well second generation on the show so what was your experience in Vegas? Because, like, you know, you experienced Rome and, and Paris and Vegas is its own life. And it was very different in the 60s than. Yes. Even... Well, remember, when I was there, it, there was a lot of desert. So therefore, the Boulevard Mall on Maryland Parkway, they had Broadway's one end and they had Sears the other end, like two boxes thrown there. And over the years, the whole thing joined until it became a huge mall but it was just desert boxes. Yeah. Totally different, you know. Wow. Yeah, because even the strip, it's interesting now because we have video, is to watch all these hotels be imploded. And like the like when the Stardust went down, I was I, that's I auditioned for that. I ended up getting hired for Hello Hollywood, but just to see like the dunes and all these, because there really wasn't much on the strip, but these iconic hotels where all the celebrities would come in. It was, you know, back then they've got like Dean Martin and, Frank Sinatra is very oh, different yeah. entertainment world, but also there is, that was the strip was these certain things and not much else. But it was wonderful in those days because being in a show, we got to see a lot of other shows complimentary. Yeah. A lot of famous people. 
you know, and it was just considered normal. You know, Bob Hope would come backstage and wanted to see the English bluebells, you know, things mm. like that. <laughs> Trini, Trini Lopez, um, Anthony Newley, Elvis Presley would come and see the show. I did not meet him personally, um, but some did, just yeah. did. But there were other stars that I did know personally. Uh, one of the girls was getting married, so we went to the Riviera to see Vic Damone uh, singing in the lounge. He saw a bevy of beauties of six or eight girls. And so after it, he said, don't move. And he came down and sat with us. And he sat next to me and he said, come and see my show again. I'm moving to the frontier. Just give me a call. Tell me who I've got your name. I know who you are. And so when he moved to the frontier, I would just call when I saw him in town and he'd say, just bring a friend, you'll feel better. Everything's complimentary. And then afterwards we would go to his dressing room and sit in his waiting area. He'd get changed and uh, take me and my friend out for, for breakfast with his friends. It was really, just or um, we'd go to see the checkmates at the um, Caesars and Tommy Steele, a, a rock star from England would be there the next time. So he would be waving to us. And then, who was it? Anthony Newley came to see <laughs> the show and he invited me out. I took a few people on the Caesars Palace houseboat, saw his shows, would have dinner with him. He would rent a house off Desert Inn Road somewhere. And he had a wonderful mom called Grace that I became great friends with. So, you know, we just knew each other. Yeah. What, show, what dance shows? Because... What's like that? the trop, there was a Tropicana. Like, which ones had like the big shows? Because there was a lot during Tropicana that time. Like the Flamingo. Tropicana had the Folies Bergere. Okay. The Dunes had the Casino de Paris, and the Stardust had the Lido. And okay. I never realized that the Casino de Paris with Frederick Apcar. I never realized during World War II that Frederick Apcar was um, a great help to Madame Bluebell during World War II. Madame Bluebell had a Jewish husband, Libavici, yeah. and she hid him in her attic for several years of where she lived. And I got her book. She gave me her book, her life story. And I didn't know this until later. And I, and I was really amazed. Frederick would ride his bike, so would Bluebell. And he would give her a loaf of bread and she'd put it in her basket to help feed him. It's amazing. Oh this book yeah. is an amazing story. What's I have a book that's it's not written. It's written about her. No, it's got the. This written. is her book. This is her book. Is it is it out there where people can get it? I don't think so. I okay, because I would like to hear it from her words. The one I read was written. I can't remember who wrote it. it. It's about her, but I would love to hear it from her. Well, I'll tell you what. After this, I will find this book and I will take a picture of the uh, of the yeah. cover. There's a young man I've interviewed that that has followed Bluebell's story and he's going to write a musical. So he listens to the podcast. He's done so much research um, because of this this whole vision of telling her story as a musical like just sounds so wonderful because there's tragedy and her story has a lot of tragedy with around the war. And I've heard parts of it about her husband, but I hadn't heard. I mean, how were Frederick, were they friends in before through dance or how he ended up helping her? Frederick Apcott? Mm -hmm. I think that he had the casino, I, but I don't know. It's been a long time since I read a book. I don't want to mislead you. I'm, I'm going to walk upstairs and see if I can find this book. It's driving me nuts. Hold on. <laughs> well, we'll keep talking with it because we're kind of, I want to make sure we get to a couple yeah, more things before we. I'm just walking upstairs. Okay. <laughs> so how long did you stay in Las Vegas? I mean, you're still there. Like I'm, I'm talking there. to you. I left. So did you say, did you, did you love Las Vegas or you love someone who lived in Las Vegas or no, a combination of both? Well, I love Las Vegas and um, I didn't want to go back to my hometown. So that's why. Hold on. So you danced for quite a while there. You did three shows. Yeah. And I also did, um, aha. Wait a minute. I'm so intrigued by this. I have to see if I can find oh, it. This is going to. Oh, that's the one I've read. I have oh, that book. But I need to read through it again. Read through it again. 
Okay. Yeah, I feel like now there's things that after hearing everybody's story, it's going to be more exciting to read again. But she is she authorized all of this. She told me. This okay. Is, this is it. Okay. 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 We will we will connect people to that book if they want to read because I, I think I knew her in maybe her seven. I'm glad I auditioned in eighty. I don't know how old she would have been, but she was still active. But I know some people that got to know her more when they were. Well, I used to pick her up. From the yeah, see that's nails done and bring her over to have lunch with me and things like oh that. Oh my gosh. That's why I love interviewing people that knew her on a personal level because I just know that all of us who worked for her very much looked up to her and adored her, but not everybody like the young the people that worked with her in the earlier days knew her as a friend or knew her okay. outside of just the shows. Yeah, I'm plugging this in. Hold on. Yeah, in fact, she had a wonderful daughter. Do you know anything about her daughter? No. She Did had she a dance? called Florence. Florence and Patrick, two of her four children, moved to Las Vegas. Florence died, sadly. Um, she married Al Phillips, the cleaners. And Florence would have parties and reunions at her house. And she would, um, she would when Bluebell would come into town, she'd stay with Florence. And we'd all get together for reunions was and that was up in Summerlin that she lived at that point and Florence I got a funny story when we were in Paris about we had to go let's see to go to Las Vegas we went across the channel to Paris stayed at the same hotel packs <laughs> oh wow inexpensive and there was Lynette Lewis Chappelle who uh, Maureen Owen, both of those were with Siegfried and Roy, um, and a couple of other girls. We had to stay in Paris to get our visas. So we'd go out each day and sightsee while we're waiting. Well, then we have to sign a lot of paperwork for the visa, but it was in French. And other than me saying, je ne, je ne sais pas, je ne parle pas le français, and a few things like that, I couldn't speak <laughs> French. I certainly could not um, read it. So I was like, oh dear. So then I didn't understand sometimes if, if I'm checking, yes, I understand, or no, I don't understand. And they were going too fast for me. And I missed a signature at the end. I still don't know what I was signing. I still don't know what I checked. Right. <laughs> I missed the signature at the very end of this. So I'm out sightseeing. And as I come back with the girls, there was this urgent message saying, Rosemary must go immediately to the embassy, immediately. Florence will meet you there. So I got in a taxi, in a cab, you know, toot sweet, um, Americana embassy, whatever I said. <laughs> and uh, so I get there and here is this very sweet, beautiful young lady with her little French beret and her little uh, cream colored uh, decorated stockings and everything. She'd been waiting all afternoon for me, like for hours, because I didn't sign this piece of paper and it's 10 to five and the embassy closed at five. So she said, quickly, quickly, quickly. And I went in and I signed the paper and I had no idea what was going on. I was really dense. So she wasn't cross, she wasn't anything, she was just, so calm and so beautiful and she says don't worry it's all right and she was my best friend forever i tell you oh my gosh she behaves so beautifully when yeah. you're in that type of situation if i would not have got there before five everybody would have gone to las vegas without me and i'd have had to have gone by myself oh my gosh she saved oh. my bacon. <laughs> yes, she did. <laughs> well, and I think, did one of Bluebell's daughter or sons marry a Bluebell? Yes, Patrick Lipovici married and Teresa. I would love to interview, because he's still alive, right? Oh, yeah. Are all he's, four of her children? No. Three of her um, I'm fr friends with his wife, if you look in my friends thing. Okay, because I would love to hear, like, what that perspective of, of being and her children. children in this world so you guys did you do a show together with with uh no, no th she's younger than i am okay she was she came over as a principal 
and they're just a great couple. I mm. haven't seen them in years because of when Bluebell died, but very, very nice. And like I said, I've had a couple of compliments. Let's see, Patrick, I sent something to, must have sent it to Patrick or something. It was a uh, letter that he wrote me in 1966 about where I had to go and what I had to do, you know, to come to Las Vegas. And I still have that letter. <laughs> oh, oh, I feel like we might have to do a part two and three because we probably should wind it up. And I didn't even get into your, like you were a dealer in Las Vegas and then you opened a shop for um, dancewear. But I, can you just tell that, like how you met your husband? Because that might be a really sweet way to uh, come to the end, towards the end of this. Well, I, I was already had my dance academy and with a, um, another lady opened up a dancewear store at Spencer and Maryland Parkway in Las Vegas. And we were extending from just dancewear to Halloween accessories. Hmm. So I said to her, you know, we really do need um, to advertise for Halloween. And I had recently end, ended a five-year relationship because it was going nowhere. And so I'm busy in the store and in walks this handsome gentleman. And he said, well, I, I work for a local TV station. I was wondering if you would be interested in um, advertising for Halloween because he saw some accessories. I said, you're just the person I'm looking for. <laughs> we it off, and that was like, obviously uh, late September, early October because Halloween's October 31st. And uh, we went to Europe that Christmas New Year and got engaged the following Valentine's Day and married in July of 81, nine months later. So this is 40. That's that such a sweet story. <laughs> Just you're the man I need on so many levels. You're going to advertise and I'm going to marry that's you. That's oh, right. that's such a sweet story. And you're living your life in Las Vegas. We certainly are. And since I retired, we've been traveling. So this pandemic has really put a crip on our trips because we're yeah. in Asia, November of 2019. Oh, Westerdam, which was oh. the ship that three months later was stuck at, at sea because of the COVID. Oh yeah, oh. Ship, three months before we were in Beijing in November of 2019. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, <laughs> what a world! And I actually have this tagline that I put on my Facebook thing is because pe the people keep using the word pivot. Like we've had to pivot and change our life, but I'm like, now I added to it. It's, it's pivot, swivel, bevel, and shine. <laughs> Especially dancers are finding ways to like recreate or just to still, I don't know, bring hope and beauty into the world. So we're going to end here, but I feel like I have so many more questions, but we might have to do a part two. When I went to, I went to Hello Hollywood, Hello Reunion four years ago. And then I went to the Paris one last year. And both times they did like a slideshow, you know, of all the dancers. And then at the end, they had a picture of Miss Bluebell. Um, and I got so teary and I only had really met her. I had a very intense audition experience signing my contract of another story. Um, but I just felt like such admiration. But I was surprised of how emotional I felt seeing her picture and knowing that she had passed. And I think I looked around at everybody, both reunions, when they see her picture, they just were, they were teary. And I think it was sadness, but also such joy and gratitude for having her that gave us these careers that were un, unimaginable when you're growing up as a dancer, like you could do this and just the way she treated her dancers. So when you think of her as not just your boss, but also your friend, is there anything you want to leave us with of her impact on your life? Well, she literally changed my life forever. Uh, every opportunity is there if you want to take advantage of it. Do your job, do a good job, and behave yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, behave yourself. Yeah, she wants to know. Like that goes back to that audition. Like, what character do you have if I'm going to take you to another country and see like what your character and your family is? I mean, I think that's such an interesting. She wanted solid, wholesome girls to work for her she Ugh. did not want wayward girls and yeah. this is where earlier you had said about everybody collectively puts everybody from who knows what from a prostitute to a to a, a stripper not that everybody's bad but right all put into this huge big bubble and we are so many different facets that it's um 
there's nothing wrong with the name showgirl, but it's just that some people that just do not know any better assume that you're all the same type of person and we're all different. Mm. And that's the thing with this podcast. Everybody's story is so different. To see you as a shy, beautifully trained ballerina living in Las Vegas, hanging out with celebrities. It's just like <laughs> that you are like, look, there's two sides at Gemini. There's two parts of us. And if only one of them is fostered, only one of them gets to grow. So like that life of Bluebell got to bring forth that, that part that gets to be front and shine in the spotlight. Yeah, very fortunate because I've had three totally different careers as a dancer, which I loved working in the casino, even though it was with the, uh, with the hoods. We had to tell that story another time. Casino movie? Yes. Okay, I lived that era. Wow. I was on- yeah. the, the mafia was like running I, Vegas, right? I was there. Yes. Wow. Story. And then of course, the third was 38 years as a uh, dance academy owner and dancewear. Mm-hmm. And there's all what kinds of goes there too. So I know yeah. that you need to close, but- but we'll have to come back because I think just Vegas in that era oh, was yes. a whole episode on its own. And I know you did share some with Athena and I listened to that. I'm like, wow, because I kind of think it was at the tail end because I was 78. I was only in Las Vegas for two months, but I do. I think some of that was still around at the it, well, end of the 70s. Yeah, I was uh, dealing from 1973 downtown, breaking up with the people there and all kinds of stories that yeah we'll come back so rosemary rosebud people can go listen to athena on a showgirl's life to hear your how the word rose or your name rosebud that was really sweet we'll let we'll let that be for for that interview but people can follow both and there's probably many 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 more stories we could tell just of your life so thank you for for um taking the time to share your life i'm just so thrilled to have met you and to hear your portion of this whole well, thank you Wonderful for having me. <laughs> so take care of yourself and hopefully you'll be out traveling again soon when it's safe and um, and we can all meet back in Paris for a good well, cocktail. Yes, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.